I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. We're trying to uh, strike a balance in this world between relating to it and separating from it. And that is a fine line that we try to walk. And with that in mind, um, I just want to ask, uh, is it bad to drink in front of unbelievers? I love this opening question. Is it bad? I'm not trying to give a theology on drinking today, but I am going to use it as an example throughout the message. Is it bad to drink in front of unbelievers? You know, as opposed to hiding it at home like a good Christian. You know? Okay, here's last Sunday's sermon. We saw last Sunday that we are conformers. Bump, 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 bump. So we must consciously unconform from sinful influences with a complete mind metamorphosis by daily resetting our autopilot's heading regaining our bearings by our guiding light, and then battling our acclimating to the stink of sin by routinely stepping away for a spiritual breather with our Father so that we can effectively reflect His good and pleasing and perfect will that we're testing. Bump, bump, bump. And confirming. And, and really, by testing and confirming it in our lives, proclaiming by slowly but steadily turning toward the way of the Lord and away from the ways of a world that oppose it. And is so often opposed to those who have found the truth and the life and the mercy that this turbulent world is so deeply longing for. That's last, that's last week's message. I want to just pick up right there. Let's keep going. I want to turn you to Romans. Romans, I don't know if you know this, chapters 1 through 11. The first 11 chapters of the book of Roman is a comprehensive depiction of God's mercy. Therefore, uh, oh wait, I'm ahead of myself. It's a depiction of God's mercy through the work of Jesus Christ through the work of the rock to whom our faith is absolutely anchored. Therefore, in view of these first 11 chapters, Paul begins chapter 12 by saying, therefore, I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, I keep telling you what it means, separated and dedicated. So present yourself, living sacrifices, separated and dedicated, and he adds, pleasing, pleasing to God. Because you see, many believers are separated from this world and dedicated to the Lord, but not pleasing. Not pleasing, because they're not walking that balance that he demands. But this is our spiritual act of worship, to try and find that balance, to try and walk this thing. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. But here's the thing, if we take this command to unconform from this world, if we take that too far, if we overreact in ways God didn't intended, then we will run in one of, of several aimless directions, as Paul calls them. A couple weeks ago we talked about that. Run as though to win, don't run aimlessly. But if we overreact to this idea of trying to be different from the world, we'll run a nameless direction, like retreating into the church for fear of coming into contact with the filth of this world. And I see that a lot with people coming into the church. There's this fear that they're going to, they're going to somehow get dirtied by the filth of the people they work with or go to school with. Their neighbors. This is a fear of the filth that Jesus never felt. Never, if there was ever anyone who wrapped his arms around the filth of this world, it's our Lord. He did not fear it when he defended the adulteress caught in the act. Or when he himself said that he chose a devil as a disciple. Or when the uh, respected religious elite badmouthed him for drinking with the riffraff. Remember that? I've heard, I've heard several variations on this drinking question, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm using it, because believe it or not, I, I get a lot of drinking questions. Um, and they all concern, uh, they go, uh, this issue. It's like, it's like here's, here's an actual question I got. Uh, is it okay if I drink a beer at my company picnic? The conflict being, how will they know that I'm different from them? But is that the goal? Is that the goal, to show them that we're not like them? Because the Apostle Paul explains to the Corinthian believers... That to those under the law, meaning, you know, that really walked legalistically, I, be I became like one under the law. So as to win those under the law. Now, he says, on the other hand, to those not having the law. Well, I became like those. Where is it? I became like those not having the law. Uh, though, and then he has to clarify, though I, I am under Christ's law. I I'm not going to ever, you know... Sacrifice that. But he did this so as to win, to win those not having the law. And then he says, to the weak. And you have to understand what, what Paul means when he says weak, or, or you don't really get this. Um, this is his nickname for vegetarians. It's to those... This is, it's absolutely true. Uh, those who eat on, the weak, who eat only vegetables, he, he goes on to say. So he's just saying vegetarian. He doesn't mean it like the insult it sounds like. But nonetheless... Uh, I became like a vegetarian. <laughs> I, uh, I became weak to win the weak. Which reminds me of a song. To win the weak, to win the weak, to win. <laughs> it doesn't work with the word vegetarian. I've, but look what he says. I've become all things to all men. So that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. He's not compromising his faith. He's living it. 
I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. He wants to bless me. See, by blessing others, by sharing its good news of God's mercy that he just spent 11 chapters describing. I got to tell you, my second favorite missionary in the whole world, my first one being Pastor Nick, but don't tell him. My second favorite missionary in the whole world. It's a man named Bill Kieselhorst. I think he lives in Oregon now. I'm not sure. Haven't seen him for years. But we used to have him come here and speak decades ago. And uh, he told this story. I've never forgotten it. And it just, it'll, it sums up who Bill is. But he told about fishing with some pastors out in the boat. Fishing was bad. The fish weren't biting. And uh, all of a sudden, some guys pulled up to commiserate. They didn't know him. They pulled their boat right alongside. And they're griping. And it's GD this. And it's F-bomb that. And then they offer, they open up their cooler. And they offer everyone in Bill's boat a beer. And one of the pastors in Bill's boat, very politely, says, no, no thanks, no thanks. We're pastors. And Bill says, I don't know what came over me. It was a reflex. He says, I jumped into the other boat and said, but I'm a missionary, so I'll have your beer. <laughs> and I said, that is the best definition of a missionary I've ever heard. He jumped in their boat. <laughs> I'm a missionary. I let you know what I'm doing. Give me your beer. Let's have a beer together. I love that story. Paul also explains to the Corinthian believers how to be all things. Such a great, simple little explanation. How to be all things to all without conforming to any. So listen close because this is just a great life uh, motto to have in our head. He says, believers who use the things of this world, the world, should live as if not engrossed in them. There it is. They should use, believers who use the things of the world should live as if they're not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So unconform from its present form. In other words, uh, employ and enjoy the things of this world, but don't become absorbed. It's so funny because earlier in the same letter to the Corinthians, Paul had to correct them. He had to correct what they had misunderstood <clears throat> about what he had, had, he had talked to them before about avoiding the depraved and the debauched and the dishonest and the demon-worshipping cult members. And so he says to them to try and correct their misunderstanding. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world. See, he was talking about all the believers who are hypocrites. I love this line. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. See, it's all about being in without being of. And it's odd that you and I are called to simultaneously participate and separate. And that takes wisdom. That takes the Word of God. That takes training. Because these two very crucial, very uh, biblical impulses to relate and retreat 
will always be in tension in the life of a true believer. That's, it's the balance. It's the balance we try to walk. You see, if we absorb this world's ways, we have no light. But if we quarantine from it, we hide our light. Remember what Jesus said to the Father the night before the cross, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And yet he embraced the filthiest within it. And so I have the best parallel. You want, you want to know the best biblical parallel with the best and coolest archaeological discovery? Uh, go no further than when the Jews were exiled in Babylon because there was a big contingent of faithful believers who were suddenly exiled out of Jerusalem living in Babylon, taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. It just happens to be, I took out my little timeline uh, yesterday and went, oh, I should find out when. Looked up the, the dates, plugged it into my little calculator. And it's 666 years before the cross. And I thought, oh, that's a funny number, 666. So maybe that'll help it stick in your brain. 666 years before the cross, they were exiled into Babylon. And, and, the, and the faithful found themselves, like us, surrounded by a polytheistic, it means lots of gods, named Polly, not really, polytheistic society embracing a variety of competing gods and beliefs and values. Now, fast forward 663 years, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire was very much the same way. And so it's kind of funny when Peter signs off his first letter uh, saying it's from your sister church in Babylon. <laughs> because that's what it's like here. And that's what it's like here for us. In Revelation, Babylon becomes the symbol of the rebellious world. Babylon is destroyed at the end. And those exiled 660 years before the cross, you know, over 2,600 years from us, those faithful who were exiled serve as a great parallel for believers in this world today. Let's just read a little bit of their story. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, which would have included Daniel and his pals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, all the oh, also uh, Book Esther, Mordecai, and Esther. There's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. And we know from the, what they wrote, the book of Daniel, and what they're writing while in Babylon, they sought God's will regarding the same balance that we're trying to strike. Now, here's some really cool archaeological discoveries. We'll start with this. This is Nebuchadnezzar's northern palace. This is his actual palace, what remains of it. He had a couple. you got to wonder, because we know that Daniel went into the palace to interpret his dreams. I wonder if it's that one. Could have been. You may not know, but much of the original city remains. This thing goes on. This takes up a lot of land. And over the years, it's been slowly reconstructed so that you can once again walk the streets of Babylon. 
where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, Esther, where they were. But nothing compares to Babylon's processional way, where they would bring the captives into the city because the gate, well, the whole processional way actually, has been reassembled brick by brick in a museum in Germany. That's the original colored glaze. They cleaned it and reassembled it on having the same dimensions. That to me is really, to know that Daniel walked through that gate and looked at that, that's crazy. The processional way, they've actually got a lot of this up in the museum. Uh, it was over a half mile long leading up to that gate. And Daniel and his friends, they walked down these walls and they passed through this gateway into their new, not so accommodating nation. And FYI, if you know the story in Daniel, I just have to, I have to throw this in. You, if you remember when Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace, right? And he said, is not this the great Babylon I've built for the glory of my majesty? And then God struck him with temporary insanity. He crawled around and ate grass like an ox, it says. This is what he was talking about. This is what he built. We know this from the history books. And our situation, very similar to the faithful, trying to remain faithful in Babylon, surrounded by a smorgasbord of spiritual paths and a sea of people opposed to our deepest convictions regarding right and wrong and God, and truth, and holiness, and sin. Most of Babylon thought their faith was demonstrably, demonstrably foolish, because their God couldn't save them from Nebuchadnezzar. So how do we remain faithful in all the inevitable, uncomfortable situations that can daily challenge our faith? here in Babylon. Well, as I said in the beginning, we need to be careful not to overreact. We need to be careful not to overreact because if we do, we'll run in one of, I'm going to give you the three biggies, one of three big aimless directions, wrong directions. Uh, the first one, the tempting overreaction being imitation. Reacting by compromising, by accommodating too much of our culture in order to uh, go along with the flow and get along. Now, believers who are imitators like this, they, they don't reject Jesus, but like chameleons, their security comes from blending in with our secular surroundings. Now, bold imitators may publicly say, Jesus is my Lord, but not Jesus is the Lord, or heaven forbid, you need Jesus. And the good news of God's mercy is reduced to whatever's safe to say. Because this way, this world is happy for us. You know, it's like, hey, glad, glad Jesus works for you. That's good. You know, yoga does it for me. And the picture Jesus paints of a believer who blends in to the point of vanishing is salt without flavor. Saying salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Well, one way, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But until then, 
He says it's neither, it is fit neither for the soil, which is where he says the word is planted in his parables, nor for the manure pile, you know, with that which helps it grow. No, they throw it away. They just toss it out. Because without a distinctive savor, then you got no savior to offer this world that this world doesn't already have with yoga. Imitating this world. That's bad. That's not the way to run. Another tempting overreaction. Isolation. Sheltering in the safety of the places where God's word is honored. Hiding out. To the point where your entire life orbits around a religious subculture. You know, we've seen those people. It's technically, it has a name. It's technically called Christian tribalism. But the Simpsons call it Ned Flanders. Tribal Christians rarely really get to know many, if any, who aren't already like them. And engaging, as Paul calls them, the people of this world, uh, in a meaningful, non-artificial, naturally relatable, sincerely spiritual way, becomes increasingly de-diddly difficult. Jesus calls it the hidden light syndrome. I added the syndrome part. That wasn't from Jesus. And I got to tell you, I'm going to read what he says, but I took it from the message, because I love the way the message uh, paraphrases this passage, saying, no one lights a lamp and then covers it with a wash tub or shoves it under the bed. No. You set it up on a lamp stand so that those who enter the room, they want to come in, can, can see their way through you. How it works. We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing everything out into the open. So be careful. Look at this. So be careful that you don't become misers of what you hear. Yeah, isolating. The third and most damaging overreaction is indignation. When our sharing is insensitive at best and just belligerent at worst. I've seen a lot of that this last year. Salt is good. Oversalting is bad. It ruins the whole meal. And to Babylonians, past or present, indignant condescension from believers just looks like a tantrum because that's just what it is. You think Jesus was ever, you know, outraged <laughs> by how the prostitutes dressed or how those fishermen spoke? No, we see example after example in the Word of God. Jesus' outrage was reserved for who? The, yeah, the religiously indignant, unforgiving servant types, like in his parable. His master said to him, you wicked servant, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? So you see, being faithful in Babylon isn't about blending in, but standing out. Not hiding from, but reaching out. And not lashing out, but drawing in. No fear of wrapping your arms around the filth to be all things to all.
No, it's about being bold, invisible, and yet gentle, peaceable, as we test and approve, bump, 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 demonstrate the life we have in Christ. You know, it's like take it or leave it, but do see it for what it truly, deeply is in my life. You know what God's will was for those believers back in Babylon? We're told what it was. You know what it was? Settle down and grow up. That, that, that's the gist of God's will for the believers in Babylon. You know how I know? Because funny enough, the Lord asked Jeremiah to text it to him. It's in chapter 29. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people. Now look at this. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile. Uh, question, who carried them into exile? Don't say Nebuchadnezzar. That's not the right answer. Let's, mm-hmm. Hey, you're two for two. Okay, it says, here's, here's the text. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Well, sure, he used Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar was never really in charge. Those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's what he says. Here's what. Build houses. I mean, this is God speaking. I do my God voice. Build houses. I think I just sound more like Noah. And... <laughs> And settle down. <laughs> Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and increase in number there. Settle down. Settle down, grow up. Also, watch this. You want to know? We all quote that, that verse uh, I have plans for you to give you hope to prosper. You want to see the plan he has? Here's just backing it up a couple verses. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, and he repeats it, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper because you live in it. (laughs) Uh, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. There's the plan. He just, it's not like it's a hidden plan. But look at this line. This is an incredibly comforting line. Plans to give you hope. They were hopeless. God does that sometimes. But I have plans to give you hope and a future. And that's comforting because if you've lost all hope. It doesn't mean you're out of God's will. You can still have trust that hope will come. He has plans to give you hope. And sometimes he lets us dangle without hope to help build up our trust. You notice how his plans center around the extremely ordinary? Build a house. You want to know my will? Build a house. Settle down. Plant a garden. Seek the peace. Pray for their prosperity. And so we need to be careful. Don't mistake common with trivial. This is God's first order of business. 
first order of business is to focus on improving, mostly by serving, the things that are all around us. What's, all, what's around you? Improve it. God's first order of, of business. You know, home, spouse, kids, job, the polytheistic pagan society engulfing us and stuff. So don't imitate, don't isolate, and don't indignate. That's a word now. I decided that needed to be a word so it sounded right. God says, I carried you there. I put you there. So, infiltrate. Infiltrate. God put us here. And, as he says, he's got plans for the faithful who remain faithful. So, insulate. Insulate. Infiltrate. And insulate. I ever tell you about my Uncle Joe's shrimp boat? Well, I'm telling you again, because <laughs> I know I have. <laughs> he took me out shrimping when I was young. Big, big ship. And uh, we had a huge catch. And Uncle Joe boiled those shrimp on board in this great big copper kettle, big old flame underneath, and uh, filled with seawater. And uh, then he brought this bag and added 50 pounds of salt. Uh, and then when they were cooked, oh boy, when they were cooked, we, we laid them out and stacked them in these drying racks, and then you slid them into these little hallways. So there was just, it was hallway walls of fresh steamed cooked shrimp. And as soon as we finished that, he had melted a little cup of butter for each of us, gave us each a cup of butter, and says, walk the halls. And we got to go and pick out the biggest and best, and oh my goodness. Anyway, uh, here's the point. I like shrimp. <laughs> here's another point. Uh, those shrimps spent their entire life in that salt water. So question, this is a good question. Why did Uncle Joe have to add 50 pounds of salt to the pot? Well, because they would have been flavorless. Why? Because they didn't absorb the brine they swam in. It didn't penetrate their armor in the very same way. Our Father wants to protect us by insulating us, by renewing our minds and giving us the full armor of God, which is truth, righteousness, the readiness, the eagerness that comes from the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because we are the visible body of Christ, called to calm the turbulent sea that, that, we're, that we're in but not of. Because we are the salt of this world, not the other way around. And the more our minds are renewed, bit by bit, bump by bump, the more we reflect the light and the savor of the way that Jesus Christ, our Savior, sees and thinks and feels and acts down here in the depths of Babylon. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, worship you, 
And we sure want to please you by sharing the blessing of your mercy with those you've placed in our path. So Holy Spirit, help us to become all things to all those around us while keeping us from succumbing to becoming like this turbulent sea that we're swimming in down here. And Lord Jesus, as we continue to praise you now, we just ask you to lead us and guide us and guard us with your full armor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.